Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Megan. And this is Cinema Super Collider. Where we're smashing up cinema, one movie at a time. Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here, my friend. Can your heart stand the shocking facts about... All right. Today we saw the 1956 Roger Corman classic bad sci-fi horror movie it conquered the world indeed we did what'd you think i I mean i liked it it's exactly what it's supposed to be it is a b movie made by roger corman yeah it has a lot of people in it they fight a silly monster and the good guys win in the end thanks for listening to the show this week i would actually oh i would actually argue that if you took the monster out of this movie and just suggested that there was a monster. Right. Like if there was just like tentacles coming out of the mist or something. Right. It would have been a more effective monster movie. But unfortunately, they made a monster and it was not a good monster. It depends on what you mean by effective, though. In See, now this is the thing. What What is there to distinguish this movie above all other movies? Well, one is some really good acting and some really good performances turned in by Peter Graves, Lee Van Cleef, and Beverly Garland. Indeed. The other thing is the most ridiculous monster, almost the most ridiculous monster you've seen in a monster movie. I don't know. Gargon's pretty bad. (laughs) Gargon's not even on screen. It's just a shadow of a lobster. Oh, my God. The Gargon. You're right. Attack of the Crab People, also pretty bad. Right. And what's that other one where it's like a bunch of people under a blanket? It's oh, uh, is the, the Creeping the, Terror. The Creeping Terror, yeah. All right, okay, I stand corrected. Yeah. <laughs> At the very least, they designed a monster that had a face and claws and <laughs> a viewpoint. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My first exposure to this came from, not surprisingly, Frank Zappa on his Roxy and Elsewhere CD is uh, doing the introduction to the song Cheapness. This was part of the bit that he would do on con- at his concert tour at this time. He, he would do this intro to this song, and he'd talk about the movie It Conquered the World and describe the monster and the scientists. And he had a real interest, fetish for, obsession with cheap, bad monster movies going way back when. Bef- well, well before that tour came out, he had written a sort of stage opera that involved a fake giant spider and mm-hmm. the queen of the universe and all this kind of stuff, which is going way, way down the Zappa rabbit hole. But he always had an affinity for this type of thing. And he talked about it on this record and I heard about it and I remember it conquered the world. It was around that time that mystery science theater did this episode, which is my first exposure to this movie. I saw it when they, they did it on MST three K. Unfortunately or fortunately, there's a lot of MST3K episodes that involve B-movie, either, you know, Bert 
uh, I Gordon or Roger Corman films where it's like science people, monster, bad things happen, space. So for me, it got a little bit lost. But now that I've seen a lot of these films, this one actually has some characteristics to it that do make it a little bit special. Yeah, I think so. So allow me to read the... And and one of the great things about movies from 1956 is they can be summarized in two sentences. It conquered the world. A well-meaning scientist, who's played by Lee Van Cleef, guides an alien monster to Earth from the planet Venus so that it can rid mankind of feelings and emotions, but only death and sorrow results. Wow, that's really good. That's really good. Yes. So that... That's what happens in this movie. Except there's a lot of science. There's a lot of science. There's science men turning knobs. Mm-hmm. Pushing buttons. Pushing buttons. Making beeping noises. Beeping wires. Look, looking at screens. Technology. Where there's nothing going on. Nothing. There's a there's like a, a an oscilloscope <laughs> line going up and down the screen. At the beginning of the credits, there's this animated like oscilloscope line that goes up and down like like the TV show Outer Limits, which I think came after this. Yes, but it did. Very sort of, you know, evocative of technology in the 50s. And this script is sort of a mashup of all of the things that were, I mean, in some ways, Roger Corman was like the buzzfeed of his time. It was like, <laughs> what are the hot topics that people want to know about? Science? Communism? Communism? Uh, f- fear of the unknown? Monsters, sexy ladies, space. Let's put all those in a movie. Great, done. Yeah, that's, and that's how most of his films got made. Yeah, really, it's kind of like um, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, a little bit, a touch, because and, there is some body snatching. Yeah, people's bodies are taken over. Right, um, they're not duplicated in pods, but they're taken over by this alien life force thing. Mm-hmm. What else? I mean, just like standard, you know, inv- alien invasion kind of movie. But it's like literally an alien invades. Actually, an alien crash lands right. on Earth. Right. He's one of nine. Right. There's just nine of them. But they can- nine little little ice cream cone, oh my God. like the like cucumber ice cream. So cones. should we talk about the monster first? The horns. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So the monster. That was created, it, it was nicknamed Beulah, um, looks sort of like a sea cucumber with a face on it that also has two, like, claw appendages. It's got, it's like an inverted ice cream cone. Yes. It's pointed at the top, sort of rounded off like a little bit of an ogive kind of nose cone-ish sort of like vegetable sort of like if you took a cucumber and cut it in half and put the cut half down right or a carrot and cut off the leafy green part yeah a carrot and cut off the leafy green part is it not as slender like a really stocky chunky carrot pointing up right and, and it's complete- it's got like two horns that stick out of its head two horns that stick out of its head it's got two long lobster claws that come kind of out of its side but aren't actually attached to the main monster i don't think i don't know it's kind of hard to see this is one of those monsters. It's got like little teeth. It's got a, a little mouth. A, t- and little a tiny little eyes. mouth. It's got a it, tiny little like frowny mouth. Mm-hmm. And it's got like, it's like, like spikes or teeth or something all along the base of it. Right. Like, like a little fringe. When, and the, the 
sort of the... <laughs> it's like it barely moves. I mean, it's like, it's just... Part of the mythos of this film is that when Beverly Garland, who is the leading lady in this film, saw the monster, she made the the statement, that conquered the world, and then kicked it. Have I mentioned how much I dig Beverly Garland? Not in this episode yet. One of the reasons that we watch this film is because we watched Roller Boogie previously, and Beverly Garland was the, the sort of drunk mom in it. And she is the main... And, and I dropped in a sound from this movie into Roller Boogie. Oh, there you go. So so Eric has been talking about Beverly Garland for the last week or so and was like, we're going to watch this movie. I love Beverly Garland. She's great in this movie. She's great. She is actually great in this movie. Like, the script, the story, I, like we said, it's kind of, you know, it's communism, space, science, blah, blah, blah. But she has a nice on-screen chemistry with Lee Van Cleef, who's pl- who plays her husband. I mean, he's a little bit wooden, but, you know. But he's Lee Van Cleef. I mean, he's... He's, he's with, kind of a piece of wood, yeah. With the exception of the Sergio Leone movies, much later on in his career. Which, and when he was also quite sort of stern and stoic and wooden and... I a mean, little. He, he wasn't like... Well, but it was, a, it was appropriate in those westerns, right? Yeah, like, right. you didn't watch westerns to see... Really, man is a feeling creature. Really feeling, yeah. Cowboys doing feely things with other cowboys. You mostly watch those those films to see like people staring each other down. Right. About the close up of Lee Van Cleef's eyes. Oh yeah, it's like tattooed on your friend's arm. I think. Yeah, my friend Todd uh, has. He's got a number of uh, Western inspired tattoos, but there's the one is the I think it's um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It's the three. Lee Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood and oh, I can't remember the other guy's the name. The ugly guy. <laughs> Tuco. Tuco, is yeah. his name. I can't remember the actor's name. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, that was what you wanted in those films. In right. this film, I mean... Yeah, he could have emoted a little bit more. But he, Peter Graves was really... Uh, I don't know. The, the best actor in it, the most compelling person in it, is for sure Beverly Garland. Oh, definitely. Definitely. She is a woman of action. She is a woman of action, and... In, I'm not going to say in everything I've seen her in, but everything I can remember seeing her in, she is fully committed to acting in it. Oh, she's yeah. not, she's never phoning in her performance. She's really like acting. Well, in the leads, I, I would say Peter Graves, Lee Van Cleef, Beverly Garland, and the, the, unfortunately, I can't remember the actress's name that plays Peter Graves' wife's name. Right. But the, the four of them, they are acting in a movie. Like, they've committed. Like, this script is kind of not great, but we are going to make it happen. But like, this we. This is a cheap, like, like drive in movie. Right? They filmed this movie in five days. This was a cheap drive in movie. Nothing. And these guys were acting like they were in a pinter play. This was actually the. Committed a, to it. This was the A film in in the duo of films that got released oh, with. Really? This was the. It Conquered the World was like the, the A feature. And then the she creature. Oh man, that is a terrible movie. Was the B movie. Mm. Those two were packaged together and sold. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, for for a Roger Corman film, this is this is much better than some of the other shit he put together. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. Did he have anything to do with the she creature? Uh, yeah, I think it was that was one of his as well. Oh, I will double check, but yeah, if, if he didn't direct it and write it, he at very least was the oh the dis, like the but distributor. It's a the, that's a good one to compare it to. Now we haven't screened that 
for the show, and I don't have a, a strong memory of it, but that is a good example of a bad 50s horror movie where it is long stretches of people talking, nothing happening, boring, 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 and a, a, a terrible monster that barely makes its appearance. Super boring. This movie is... It only gets boring near the end when they're just padding it out to... How long did we say it was? It was like 71 minutes Yeah, it's, it's not even... It's, it's an just hour a, a and scotch 11 over an hour. minutes. Yeah. Oh, I am I am sorry. Uh, the Sheet Creature was directed by Edward Kahn. Oh, okay. So. Well, whatever. The Sheet Creature is a terrible movie, and I wouldn't watch it for this show because all we would do is say how terrible it was. But this movie was good. It starts out with... That you look like the credit sequence, like I said, in movies in this time, I don't, I don't know when it switched over, but credits early, were always at the beginning. Credits were always at the beginning up until probably like 1970 or something like that. And then they put credits at the end, strangely. I think, well, I think there's two reasons. I think number one, I think in 1956, the number of credits that needed to be shown was like one, one hundredth of what is currently shown when they yeah. show credits because yeah. like, there's just not that many people in these movies and the True. people that are credited, like there's maybe a dozen people that are credited and then everyone else is an extra. Right. Brought their own uniforms. <laughs> yeah. Which is still a thing that people do. Like, right? like literally they get a credit now. They no, they, no. If you, if you do background work, you still don't get credits. Oh, okay. Yeah. The person who cast you as a background player will get credits for like Fuck. extras casting, but. Bastards. Yeah, but no, I I actually did go on a casting call for a movie that uh, actually there's a couple of movies, but one of the movies that was being cast was the Clint Eastwood film. I think it's like something of our fathers or oh yeah, yeah. flags of our fathers. flags of our fathers, right? And the casting call was for men. I think it was a pretty broad age range of men, and the. The consideration was they had to show up in a military uniform from one of a particular number of wars because they were going to have various veterans Veterans or whatever. Yeah. So, like, I I remember standing in line for this particular casting call. It was, like, me and some randos and then, like, a ton of men wearing either their own military uniform or one that they, like – Borrowed from their dad or their grandpa or whoever. Got it. So yeah. <laughs> so that's still a thing that happens, and a lot of times, especially if you're if you go in for like a vintage, like shoot, like where they're like, oh, we're gonna do a sock hop, like make sure you bring your own vintage shit because they save money that way. Yeah. Why hire an extra that doesn't have their own fifties poodle skirt? Money. Hey, these movies aren't cheap. Nope, These sure poodle, aren't. poodle skirts don't buy themselves. Nope, they don't. Anyway, so the, the, the credits roll, and then first thing you'd see is Peter Graves and the scientists are all in science room with like <laughs> paintings of, of all the, all of space on the wall mm-hmm. and a bunch of like dials and electrodes and screens and that's how you buttons know it's, and lights. That's the space science room. And they're talking about launching a satellite. He's like, Oh, this is nine million dollars. This better work. And they push the button and you see some stock footage of a rocket going up into space. Then the next thing you see is Lee Van Cleef talking to some military brass. And he's there to warn them, don't launch the satellite, don't do this. You're going to attract attention from alien forces beyond our our ken. Right, and, and they're, they're like, like, the science guys are like, uh-huh, yeah. Because Lee Van Cleef's character, Dr. Anderson... 
Mr. Anderson. Every time they called him Dr. Anderson in this film, I was like, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, all I heard was, was just Priscilla Queen in the Deserts guy in my, in my head saying that. <laughs> and I realized that that's not that actor's like real claim to fame, but whatever. So yeah, so Dr. Anderson is, is Lee Van Cleef, and he's sort of a guy, he's a scientist that had unpopular views and was sort of drummed out of the science world. Yeah, they're like, um, yeah, we know you're really smart, but when was the last time you actually worked? Like, um, I, I left because everybody's stupid. Everybody's stupid but me. He's that science nerd. Yeah. They all laughed at me back at the academy. <laughs> but who will be laughing now? It's not even like that. It's no, like, it would be cool if he did it. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, it's like Peter Graves and Lee Van Cleave had like a smug asshole off during this, this filming of this movie. It was like, oh yeah, I can be a more smug asshole. Oh really? I can be the ultimate smug asshole. Let's just do it at each other for a while. And then you see like their two wives in, in a lot of scenes just in the background going like, do you want to wash the dishes? Because this is fucking boring as shit. Yeah, let's go wash dishes. Are their husbands smug assholes? Her husbands are awful. Like, even Beverly Garland at one point in a scene with Lee Van Cleef is like, Honey, you are an awful human being. Yeah. Like, I love you. Kind of. But mostly right now, you are a dick. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they are, they are smug assholes. And I think it's just, it's part of like the 1950s scientist man thing. Look, scientist men were very smart in the 1950s. They said the way things were going to be mm-hmm. and they squared their square jaws and boxed up their suits into squares and they pushed a button, pushed buttons and things fought. happened. They, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, they, they fared outward into the universe to accomplish manly Christian American things. Yes. Not because the, there's an undercurrent of anti-communism in this movie. Yeah. Commies are bad guys. The 1950s as a collective decade would like to remind you that communism is bad. It's kind of, uh, I'm not, I mean, it's, it's very obvious clearly uh, in this movie, but it's also not, it's not made explicitly communist and it is, it's more other of people. A, other it, people are bad. Yes, there is some other. You don't want to turn over your autonomy and your freedom to some outside other that knows best. And I think that's the angle, the anti-communism angle. Don't turn over your government. Don't turn over your freedoms to a government that says they know what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And that was about as much like actual message that the screenwriter could get to this, get into the script. Yeah, it wasn't super anti. Roger, Roger Corman was just like, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Because like, I gave you this writing assignment three days ago. Are you fucking done yet? And the guy was like, fine, I'm done. Here. We got a poster. We're going. And the poster's actually great. Yeah, the poster's great. It conquered the world. Like, look, look it up on the, on on the internets. It's kind of, it's sexy. It's kind of awesome looking. Like, Beulah is on it, but, like, you don't know what that is, because they've kind of hidden the fact that it... Yeah, they've obscured it a little they, bit. They've obscured the ridiculous parts of it. There's some circles on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. no, it looks great. There, and there's, like, a half-naked lady, like, laying, like, oh, no, on the very bottom. Yeah, the, the very scientist bottom. lady. Uh, no, that's not the scientist lady. I think that's supposed to be Beverly Garland. Oh. So, like, you're like, oh, yeah, man, there's a monster. It's going to be sexy. Like, this is going to be awesome. And then you got there in 1956, and you're like... Where the fuck is the, the, the Beverly Garland in the sexy? No. And what the fuck is that monster? 
Yeah, it was. I'm sure it was a disappointment after seeing the the poster and and seeing well, the movie. Well, we can only assume that either they saw the she creature before or after this, and either way, they probably left the theater going like, you know what? You conquered the world was pretty good. That was a pretty good movie. Yeah, it was something to watch with your with your sweetie. Either you that know, or at like a drive-in or in a theater. Where I, this wasn't like, a drive-in. The, this I well, I'm sure that it did play at drive-ins, but this is a movie that was released in theaters, Eric. Sure. This is the movie that, like, when when you had children on Saturday that you did not want to, like, see for eight hours. You give him a nickel. You gave him, like, a dime, <laughs> which got him in for, like, two movies plus a couple of cereals, a cartoon, and some trailers. And a bag of popcorn. And they got a bag of popcorn, and they got a box of milk duds or whatever. And, and like a smack in the face. Mm-hmm. A and, spank on the behind. Yep. And then you were like, oh, thank God. I'm so glad that we had an extra dime so we could get rid of that fucking kid from our house. This is our one day off. What do you want to do? I don't know. <laughs> Sleep. Sleep. Yeah. So you get to see Lee Van Cleef tell the military brass, you know, watch out, don't do this thing. There will be strange forces. We'll take note. And they all, they blow him off. Then the next thing you see is Lee Van Cleef and Beverly Garland, his wife, and Peter Graves and his wife, and they're all having dinner together at Lee Van Cleef's place, and they're talking science. Yep, science talk, because that's what science people do. They talk about science. Yeah, and Peter Graves' wife says, you know, can you guys stop talking about science for like five minutes? Because- and she drops the most sciencey line of the whole fucking movie. She's like, if I hear one more thing. About graduated cylinders. About conical graduated, uh, or no, conical. Conical graduations, which we had to look up. I didn't know what that was. Yeah, Eric's like, I don't know what that is. It's some sort of a glacier. She lists off like five actual science things in a row, which is the, literally the only science talk that anyone in the movie actually has other than isotopes, I think she mentioned. Other than just to run around and yell science at each other and point at things. Yeah. But yeah, so like it's the worst dinner party ever. And then of course dinner is done and. The two men are like, so what do we want to do now? And Lee Van Cleef is like, science. Let's go look at science. And so he has this Beverly little- Garland's like, you promised not to, not to embarrass me with your crazy shit again. Yeah. So she's like, you know what? Let's go in the kitchen. You and, and you, other- you wash and I'll wipe. You wash and I'll wipe. And I like, I like to think in these movies when the wives like fuck off to the kitchen that like really what's going on in the kitchen is like, they're smoking. They're smoking weed and they're planning ways to take over the world. Like <laughs> 1950s should have been less concerned about communists and more concerned about housewives with extra time on their hands. Yeah. Whose whose marriage might not have been the most exciting because their husband's science. Yeah. Right? So that's my that's like my little my little mental dream is that like the women fucked off to the kitchen and then like if we were to see that shot of them they would be like, they'd have like blunts hanging out of their mouth and like maps that they'd pulled down with like, with, with like war plans about how like women were going to like take over the world. They're going to be like, communism is a red herring. Fuck it. It's all the women are going to rise up. That would have been awesome. That's Beverly the, Garland would have been the one to lead it. She would have. She would have been like, shit, she would have been the goddamn rhinestone revolutionary right there. Yeah, she would have had she the was pretty fierce. Che Guevara hat on and a, a goddamn gun in one hand and a rolling pin in the other, just beating the shit out of everybody. Yes, but it was the 50s, and you know what that means? The women disappear off the screen for a while, and things get boring. Uh, Lee Van Cleef shows, he's, he's got this drapes 
with like a little like a, a, a he has like an uh, altar like a, an altar to ham radius. A valance across the top, mm-hmm. like a little valance and like some room darkening drapes and he pulls it it looks like there's gonna be a patio. And he pulls it shoo, it opens and there's just a little alcove with a bunch of ham radio equipment in there. Yep, and a microphone. He's like, listen to the sounds of the universe. Apparently this is what the alien sounds like when it talks to Lee yeah. Van Cleef. And Lee Van Cleef's like, you hear that? Peter Graves like, what? <laughs> Lee Van Cleef's like, that. What do you think that sounds like? And he's like, the Boston Philharmonic? I don't know. Yeah, it's a dumb joke, but still. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, he was no, like, it sounds like nothing. From, from another planet. Can't you hear what he's saying? <laughs> Peter Graves is like, you're fucking nutballs. This is why you are no longer allowed in the science world. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's so smart. He knows more than anybody on Earth. We need him here. Mm-hmm. And Peter Graves is like, um, yeah, um, I just remembered I left the iron on at home. We gotta go. Yeah. We, th- why did we come here for dinner? Cause you are a laughing stock and I guess our wives are friends. Come on, honey, let's go. Map yeah. in the kitchen. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. blow- they're blowing the, the pot smoke out the window. Yeah. <laughs> the, the hood on over the stove. They're hiding. Hiding their battle plans behind a bunch of Betty Crocker cookbooks. Yeah. They toast to the revolution and then walk out. And, uh, Peter Graves and his wife go on home and, and Peter Graves talks to his wife a little bit and is like, yeah, I know he's crazy, but he's a friend of mine. He's really, really smart. And, and his wife's like, do you think he could be right about what he's saying? Like, you know, that Peter Graves you know, is like, fuck no. He's like, no, you know, this is like, he, he, like anytime anything happens, he like tries to fit it into his own wacky theories. And, you know, that's, that's just the way he is. You know, we'll cut him some slack. Next thing you know. So much stock footage. It's, it's a panoply. It is a, a, a montage of stock footage of every, of all technology. Stopping. Yes. Well, it was actually just people using technology and then we are led to believe it stops. Yes. It's like a man lifting wire like a giant spool of wire with a crane and a telephone and a lamp and a radio and a car and a stopwatch and on and on, on and on. And Basically on. it was just Roger Corman, like things I, I want to believe that Roger Corman just had a giant room full of stock footage because that's in all of his movies. Just look, if you need like 15 minutes of movie that you don't want to have to shoot, you just use stock footage. They didn't count frames or time it or anything. They measured out like six feet. Yeah, they were like, like eh, that's about right. Stretched it out that's between their right. outstretched arms, cut this piece, tape but it I, together. I like to imagine that he would go in this room and then like the little like uh, music from Ren and Stimpy would start. Like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, right? And then Roger Corman would just like flounce around, like, which one should I pick today? This one! And then just pull it out and be like, ooh, rockets launching. Okay, which one should, ooh, we need, we need at least three more feet. What? Right, like, which, which other one should we pick? Telephones! What do these have to do with one another? Who cares? A buffalo stampede! Clearly because technology. Science! Yeah, yeah, it's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. And it shows that all of a sudden all technology has stopped, so. The alien. Oh, the, did we see the ship crash land? We, <laughs> at we that bre- point, yeah, we do. They're trying to bring the satellite back. It goes off course. Peter Graves has to go back to the scientist guys. There's some business that goes on. Yeah, people the- are always running back and forth from like 
Peter Graves' house to Lee Van Cleef's house to Science Laboratory to the military base. Those are the four sets they had. Yes. And, and they're the always driving or running or sometimes even bicycling because back and forth. Do you know how many minutes of footage that takes out? Uh, probably in this movie, I would guess about six and a half to seven and a half minutes. And that helped. Look, if you have 10 minutes of stock footage and seven minutes of driving footage, you are one third of a way to a movie. Yep, that's about it. Mm-hmm. That's about it. And this movie's no different. Don't forget, there's like three, four minutes of credits at the beginning. That's true. Like, Roger Corman has this, he's got a formula. He knows what's what. Yeah. Driving and parking scenes are very important. Yeah. We saw some driving. We saw some parking. Not as much as in some movies, but certainly... There like Birdemic. Was... Yeah, like Birdemic. Like, uh, oh, jeez, like giant spider invasion, like uh, Gila Monster, like... I think Bert I. Gordon actually does worse jobs with the parking and the... Uh... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one, um, the other one with Peter Graves where the grasshoppers attack uh, Chicago... Oh, the, um... Not Food of the Gods. Not Food... Uh, no, I think it is Food of the Gods. Yeah, I don't know. There's, like, lots and lots and lots of driving in that movie. There's a lot of driving. Anyway, so there's some there's some driving and parking, but not too much in this movie. But it, anyway, so they're driving back and forth, and this and that happens, and there's and some their sort car, of... And their car stops. Their car stops. The, their watches the, stop. And we see a, a bad... One of the really, really bad effects of the movie, a spaceship fly into a mountain and crash, boom, with, like, a flame. And yeah, it's true. It's it's really bad. And then everything stops because the alien has landed and done some sort of an EMP thing. And then we see another bad effect, but it's a gloriously bad it's effect. It's great. It's, it's like it's, a model plane that somebody blows up with an M80. It's, so, yeah, it's a model plane on a piece of fishing wire that's, that's... It's on screen for about a second. It's actually for for a fake plane blowing up. It is on screen for a while. And yeah, it, it does flies blow around up. a little bit, yeah. It blows up too. And both of us were like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what good. I want. Yeah. That's good. I love the, I love that. That's the cheapness that Frank was talking about. Yeah. I mean, love the, that stuff. the, between that kind of shit happening and then this is one of those movies where like the actors, when they are attacked by the monster, have to actually hold on to the monster's appendages as if to like make sure that it looks like they're choking them or attacking yeah. them. It, lo- it looks like you're holding them off, but you're really holding. You're them really off. holding them on, and it doesn't yeah. look like you're holding. Them. No, yeah, it, it doesn't. Like it really looks like you're just hugging it yeah. a lot, hugging, hugging the little lobster hugging, claws, hugging Beulah. Yeah. So uh, everything stops, and some talking ensues. He goes back over, Peter Graves goes back over to Lee Van Cleef's place and Lee Van Cleef, Lee Van Cleef's car is working and all the electricity in his house is working. Because he got special technology, like, rights yeah. because he's buddies with the alien. He gets special dispensation. So the alien, so the plan that Lee Van Cleef and the alien come up with is the alien has these little bat-like creatures. Yeah, control units or something like that, right? That Right, he can produce eight of every hour? Week. Oh, week, yeah. week, yeah. Every week he can pr- produce eight of them. So Lee Van Cleef is like, okay, so we're going to target these eight important people to control so that we can, you know... Take over this little city in California. Right. You start with a little city in California and then, and then, you, then you spread. Then you spread. Yeah. So they're they're targeting the mayor and his wife. Right. Dr. Peter Graves and his wife. Right. The police, the police person, because there's one. Right. The general. Right. That's six. That's six. And there might have been a couple extra wives in there. 
Yeah, probably the policeman and his wife and the general and, and his, his wife. wife. We didn't see the general and the policeman's wife. But yeah, sure. for some reason the wives were important, even though... Yeah, because you need a wife. I guess. Everybody had a wife. So that that's their plan. They're going to send these like mind-control bats out to like implant them with mind-control devices. Yeah, you see him squirt out from underneath a little ice cream cone. It's dumb. It's real dumb. Yeah. He, like, gives birth to them. Lee Van Cleef's talking to him in a microphone. He's like, attack this guy, attack this guy. I'd like to see one of these control units. I imagine that they're electronic in nature. Oh. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> you mean you squirt them out of your butt? <laughs> well, I guess that's as good a thing as any. And so that goes on. And here's a fun thing. Those they They reuse those shitty little bat creatures. What? For what? For another Roger Corman film what? called The Undead, which came out the next year. I remember The Undead. They were in that? Yeah. Little bat-like creatures. They use them again. Oh. Yep. Because Roger Corman is a nose-to-tail film director. What Do we still have those shitty bat creatures? Man, let's use them again. Yeah. Use them again. We spent good money to get that rubber cord. We spent cord literally into. no money on these. Yeah, what do they look? They look kind of like... They look uh, like... Um, like little like little manta rays, like crossed with a bat, maybe? Kind of. They kind of... Mo- I think they sort of look like... You know when you take a, ch- a piece of chicken and you butterfly it? Yeah, a little bit like that, sure. It's, it's kind of chunky and meaty, and they don't really flap so much as a sort of like frisbee jiggle around. It's stupid. Uh, but, but anyway, so, so Lee Van Cleef tells, um, Peter Graves, like, look, see, I told you so. I'm the only place that's working. Therefore, my whole p- plan about this alien, it must be true. Then Peter Graves goes back to his wife and basically recapitulates the same thing as before. And the wife's like, could he be telling the truth? Oh, no, no, his wife's with him at that point. They, they walk. Like, they, they hike have, there in they the heat. And, and another favorite moment in this movie is the, the cars, everything stops working at Three minutes past three. 3.03. 3.03. So then they walk all the way back to Lee Van Cleef's house, Peter Graves and his wife. They, you know, are invited into the house. And the first thing, because this is the 1950s, the first thing that is asked of them is, would you like something to drink? And not like, would you like a, a glass of lemonade? But like, how about this giant fucking glass of bourbon? Yeah, I could sure use a drink. Yeah, like Here's- yeah, you've been walking in the hot sun at three o'clock in the afternoon. What I want is a tall glass of bourbon. Yeah, it's like bourbon on the rocks. Yeah, <laughs> and like not like a not like a like like a fucking pint glass of bourbon. Yeah, god damn it, 1950s yeah. people! Like, how the fuck did you guys like make it through yeah, the day? Men were men and women were women. Everybody drank days. like crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Livers were stronger in those days. I mean, I think it's the chemtrails that make us our livers weak. Wasn't today. there then somebody that was drinking at work, or was that? Some, no, we watched that, that. That was a different movie. That was a different movie. That was a different movie. movie soon. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> people, people drank more in those days. I mean, I'm always, I'm, I'm never surprised when there is a bottle of sort of like communal office booze at a place where you work. Cause I feel yeah, like. No, that's, that's generally true. There's currently not one at my, my office, which I'm really surprised by since I work for a Catholic university and Catholics are cool with drinking. Um, but like every other place I've ever worked, there's always been like, it's usually a weird thing, like a bottle of like. A grappa or something. Like tequila, you know. But it does seem, Calvados. it does seem like, like one of the important things is like, okay, I got my office set up, 1950s office. 
what do I have in here? Okay, I've got my desk, my lamp, my pens. Do I have my whiskey? Mm. Yeah, bottled doors. Yeah, and if you had a fancy office, it was like you had your crystal decanter of whiskey with, like, the glasses to go with it. And, of course, ashtrays everywhere because we all smoke. Yeah, yeah. And a bottle of Crown Royal in the bottom drawer, just in case. That's just for you, though. That's just for you. There's like the booze that's just for you. Yeah, Yeah. special. Anyway, so he has this. So he has the booze. Peter Graves and his wife go in there, and like everything is working there. And so Peter Graves is like, "Yeah, okay, you've told me about this crazy alien thing. I still don't believe you." I got to go get some work done. Can I borrow your car since it's working? And he's like, yeah, take the car, whatever. So Peter Graves and his wife split. And then the wife once again says to him, could he be right? You know, like, look. I think they give them a ride home. I don't think they give them the car. Oh, you're right. They do. They drop him off. The the talk ensues. And it's and Peter Graves does the same exact thing where he's like, like anything that happens, he makes it fit into his weird fantasy. So right. it's Peter Grace still doesn't buy this this crazy thing. Meanwhile, Beverly Garland is like, "Honey, can we have a talk? Because I'm having some issues with your relationship with this alien. I mean, I'm all for you having friends, <laughs> and I will love you no matter what because I am your wife. But this is fucked up, and controlling mind controlling people." Kind of is like killing their brains. So maybe we could not do that? Yes, she's like, so when the minds are controlled, they don't have any feelings anymore or emotions, right? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, well, why are you kissing me? Well, because I love you. Well, isn't that a feeling? And he's like, uh, oh yeah, but, uh, well, basically... I just need things from you. So even when we don't have feelings anymore, after our minds have been controlled, I'll still need you because you do things for me. Yeah. And she's like, what? Yeah. And she fucks off to the kitchen. Yeah. And she's that, like, well, you could just order a new woman that, that from, the, from the call center or whatever. From the call center that'll cater to all your fetishes, she says. And she stomps off into the kitchen, pulls down that map, makes some more plans, adds her husband's name to the, the, the kill list. Right. Mobilizes her, her housewife assassin crew, gets it all ready to go, and then, you know, brings back his drink or whatever. I don't know. All I'm saying is Beverly Garland, she, when the revolution comes, her husband might be the first against the wall. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And he deserves it because he sells out the human race. The whole fucking human race. To the a whole god, fucking goddamn human race. sea cucumber from Venus. Right. Just, and basically it's just because he wanted to, to, Tell everybody I told you so. To be right. He did this all to be right. He's like, I will, I will surrender the entire human race to an alien, an evil alien ice cream cone in a cave just so that I can rub everybody's <laughs> demented, mind controlled noses in it that I was right all along. Yeah, hubris. Yes. And hubris is always followed by nemesis. And in this case, I guess, uh, 
and I guess in the end, well, I, well a bunch of stuff happens. So we 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 kind of I mean, need to the, recap. The, the thing is, is that okay? So like the the control units go out. These bats come out, and one infects the police guy, one infects the general, one infects Peter Graves' wife. Right, and then there's some that you don't see doing their thing. Right. Um, the effects are horrible. What the sum total of this this sort of plan of these people being infected with well not infected controlled by these things they get like a little wire sticking out of the back of their neck yeah it's sort of like after they get bitten by this bat it's kind of like like a stinger he says it's like they sting and then they die right because we see their flabby yeah it's like it's just like the matrix like that shrimp that they put in his stomach that Mm -hmm. like the electric shrimp that that controls his mind or whatever sure it's weird so i used to play bass for the electric shrimp by the way i bet you did so the the town goes fucking batshit because they're gathering all the people up to put them in these like concentration camps in the desert. Right. Well, everything stopped and the con- the guy, the military guy that's in control, the general is telling everybody that the Russians did this. Well, of course, because communism. Right. So everybody's like, oh, my God, the commies are attacking. We have to, the, the general's telling us we need to evacuate the city and go out into the desert where they've prepared some area for us to be. Mm-hmm. So they all run freely to the concentration camps in the desert. And the most hilarious part of the entire movie is watching the stampede of people because the the beginning of the stampede, you see a, I think what is supposed to be a small child dropping her doll and screaming, my dolly, my dolly. But it's clearly a 20-year-old woman who's just kind of short doing it and then it is immediately followed by a gentleman in a suit holding a saxophone my saxophone my saxophone (laughs) like it's just like wait the communists are coming and the thing that you were like i gotta i gotta take this this is really important hey man it was a selmer who cares it's a goddamn like i understand a child and their doll like the doll is the most important thing in their world but like the saxophone well, you know, if you had like a, a you know, a, an old Gibson guitar or, you know, like a... In the 50s, everyone had a like, gun. You would just grab your gun. That's what you would do. Put your gun in your waist and then grab your Martin uh, acoustic, you know. you The concentration camp's going to need musicians. Uh, okay. I'm not saying that I would s- save my instrument because mine is way too heavy. Right. But like... I'm but just, I can understand a musician wanting to save his favorite acts. That's all I'm saying. I would just I would question that that is an actual thing someone would would like. Bring your dog. Bring bring a. a yeah, we didn't see anybody bringing their dogs. Nobody. I guess the commies didn't want to hurt the dogs, though. And well, dogs look left to their own devices. Dogs are communists. <laughs> yes, they are. The collective. It's they true. Work for the collective, it's a yeah. it's a pack. Cats are an oligarchy. <laughs> Dogs are communists. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the people are leaving town. The uh, the police chief shoots. An, there's an old guy. He's like runs the hardware store or something. No, 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 it's a newspaper. Oh, it's a newspaper. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's right. He's yeah. like, I've been print, I've been printing this paper since you know you were born. I'm not going anywhere. I'm an old timer. I I built this city, not on rock and roll, but on newspapers right uh and he's like i'm not going anywhere and like immediately the cop just shoots him he's just like shoots dead yeah in cold blood and about this time peter graves shows up on a bicycle and doesn't freak out or anything he's just like it's like what what are you doing you're shooting a guy you just shot a guy in cold blood and the cop's like and yes the leader the leader told me to peter graves is like 
punch. Just punches him. <laughs> he just right punches in the nose. him. Yeah, punches him in the nose. The there's cop hits him with just, a gun. Yeah, there's a lot of just people punching each other. Because, like, or a little bit before this, uh, Lee Van Cleef and a random guy just get into a punching punching match. Because there's people oh, yeah, running that's around. Right there, like people are on the street. There's people are running around panicking. Like, I heard this is your fault. Punch. And then they start duking it out. And we had the same question, which was like, how did you hear it was his fault? Like, how you... The small town. There's no radios. <laughs> Barely anyone knows who the science person does. I guess they felt with. like they just needed a little action at that point. I don't know. I guess, you know what? Very little action. Look. He gets into a fight. Everybody gets into a fight. All this kind of stuff happens. Panic, fighting, science ensue. From this point to kind of like the last act of this film, it's mostly... People running around. Some of them are military people because there's like a squadron of soldiers that get sent out into the woods. Right. So the soldiers can't help the people in the town. The general who's being controlled tells the soldiers, form up into a squad and go on a reconnaissance mission way out into the woods where I tell you and wait and don't do anything at all until I tell you to. Right. So all the soldiers on the base. All eight of them. Eight of them. (laughs) All eight of them. One with a bazooka. The other ones with like. One you of know, them that's like, a hilarious Mexican stereotype. It's a hilarious Mexican stereotype and a couple of bolt-action rifles. They go off camping somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And they're, they're there so long they get hungry, so they send the, the horrible Mexican stereotype to go find chickens Russell, to kill. Yeah, he's a chicken rustling. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, but um, what we see then is we see like what happens to the people in the town. And people die. People die. The, they quarantine all the science, the actual scientists at the scientist base so that they can't go anywhere. In the science building. In the science building. There's a lady scientist and a lady military. There is. And I, while we were watching this, I was like, you know what? I mean, I have to do it with a grain of salt because this is 1956. But like for a movie that was made in 1956, they had one female character that was a important part of a science team that was not like the secretary. She was a science to like a scientist. They did tell her to make coffee at one point. Well, I mean, it's 1956. Like, come on. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, but she, but her purpose was not to her make Her purpose coffee. was not to make coffee, coffee and yeah. take notes. Her purpose was to actually do science. And then the, the military folks had a female military yeah, officer, officer yeah. with them. Now granted, her role was to pick up the phone and make phone calls, but whatever. Still, that could have been a military guy. Cause in most of these B movies, like anyone who is wearing an army uniform is a dude. And then Beverly Garland is the person who takes the most action in this film. The most direct, meaningful action in this movie is done by Beverly Garland, and she is, even though I think technically Peter Graves is supposed to be the conscience of this film, she is really the conscience of this film. Yeah, she's she kind is of... the one who points out the folly of everything that's going on and and stands up to her husband and is like, you are a dick. Yeah. I love you. I'm your wife. If I wasn't your wife, I would probably think you're a class A dick. Yeah, she has all the best scenes. So Peter Graves hears from Lee Van Cleef that his wife, Peter Graves' wife, has been assimilated. Well, she goes out on like a walk because she, she's part of the plan. She's like, I'm, hey, honey, uh, I'm going to go on a walk. And while I'm out of the house, this is my friend, Batso Mc... <laughs> Brain Control. <laughs> McBrain Control. He's going to suck on your head for a little bit. And then when I get back... 
Both of us are going to be blissfully mind-controlled, and the world will be a better place. I'm just going to take a little quick walk, though, because it won't take long. So she walks out. The bat flies around. Peter Graves stabs it with a poker. Fireplace poker. He Fireplace stabs poker. that crap out of it, too. Yep. They just w- like I would do with a centipede on the on the ceiling. I've seen this happen. It is exactly shot for shot. Flailing, flailing shot for shot. madly. Eric does not like it when bugs are on the ceiling because oh he's God. terrified that they are going to fall off the ceiling onto his head. Yeah, when I'm in bed. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I yep. hate it so much. It makes him very agitated. Yeah. So Centipedes it, and spiders and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't I, mind it if they if they live in their own part of the house. I just don't want them on the ceiling or on the wall over me. Yeah. I don't have this problem. But no. but You're a grown up. You don't worry about centipedes. Look, things, if we had a fireplace poker, you would be stabbing that centipede. It's as a good much. thing you don't. There'd be holes all over your walls and ceiling as it's I true. went to stab this the house centipedes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not good. Yeah. So yeah, so he stabbed the crap out of it. That one probably didn't get reused in the undead because that that one yeah, got was totally mutilated. pretty destroyed. But then the wife comes back and is like, "So isn't it wonderful? Us being completely non-feeling entities?" And he's like, "I'm just gonna shoot you." He just shoots her. He doesn't just even shoot. say hi. He yeah, just like pulls a gun and is like, Pshh. "He just shoots her." Wow. Dead. What? Didn't even say a word to her. Peter Graves is kind of not a great husband. Well, you know, she had to be put out of her misery. Her brain was dead anyway. It was just her body being controlled. Did we by know that though? Or did Zantar. we? I, you know, I don't know that we knew Bertha. that. I think, Beulah. Beulah. I think that there was a lot of shooting before we thought things through. Like maybe the thing could be taken out of her brain. He had to act. He was action man. Yeah. He well, was Peter Graves. Look, I think that the difference is Lee Van Cleef loved his wife and Peter Graves just didn't. Well, you know, he had Beverly Garland. Peter Graves had just 50s housewife, so. Ooh, or maybe. He got on to the female revolution that was going on in the kitchen, and he took action. He didn't want to get uh, overtaken by the ladies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. Yep. It's possible. It's not all just olive loaf and salmon moose, guys. So, Lee Van Cleef gets the message then from the uh, from Beulah, the monster from Venus, who's now like ensconced in a cave somewhere. He gets the message on the radio, <laughs> That Peter Graves's control unit, the bat creature, has been destroyed, and that Peter Graves murdered his wife. And then he tells this to Beverly Garland, his wife. And Beverly Garland is, of course, mortified. Right. And she's like, how can you let this happen? Well, I think the mortification came because while Lee Van Cleef is telling her this, he's cleaning and loading his rifle. Yeah, he's like, I've got to kill Peter. I have to kill him. Because the, he can't, the Venus, like, uh, Beulah can't make another control unit for, for another week. whole week. And we can't have this guy, Peter Graves, running around. He's going to mess up our whole plans. So I got it. I got the courage of my convictions. I mean, I, I've gone this far. A few people are going to have to die for this revolution to occur. So. Mm-hmm. And Beverly know. Garland in her head is like, revolution? You do not speak of revolution to me. I will show you a revolution. Boy, and she really lets him have it. She's like, she follows him around and yells at him and harangues him. And he's like, this is hard enough already. You're only making it harder by trying to guilt trip me. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. That I want to make it harder. That is actually the point of what I'm doing. Thank you for realizing that. What are you going to do? I have to take a walk, Claire. You'll be safe. After everything I've said, you're still going through with it? 
I must. My beliefs haven't changed. I still have to have the courage of my convictions. Tom, I proved to you that your friend is as weak as you are. He's hiding in a cave, pleading with a human to do his rotten work. He's dead afraid of strength, and that means Paul Nelson. He can't even wait a week to control Paul. That's how frightened he is. I'm sorry, Claire. I have to go out and meet him. Look, I don't know whether you can hear me or not, but if you can, you listen good. I hate your living guts for what you've done to my husband and my world. I know you for the coward you are, and I'm going to kill you. Do you hear that? I'm going to kill you. I wonder if there could be a movie where he wasn't committed to killing Peter Graves, like a reboot or reimagining of this film. I think it would be cool if, like, Jim Henson's Muppet Babies did it conquered the world? It conquered the world. And it would be like uh, uh, Miss Piggy would be uh, Beverly Garland. That's pretty good. And uh, Peter Graves would be uh, Fozzie. And uh, Kermit would be uh, Lee Van Cleef. Well, yeah, obviously. And then, of course, like Animal would be Beulah. <laughs> yeah. And the scientist would be uh, uh, Beaker and uh, Bunsen. There you go. That would be great. And, you know... You can do that if you have a game of Greenlight that you can play. Greenlight, that's the game we invented. Right, it's it's a great game where you reboot and reimagine movies and TV shows uh, with your friends, maybe your family. Uh, game night, it's perfect for those sorts of things. So maybe, like, for example, you would take the movie Ghost, but instead of it... With Patrick Swayze? Well, yeah, but instead of it being Patrick Swayze, maybe you recast it and modernize it and it's all patrick stewart oh my god ghost with patrick stewart and ian mckellen boom oh there you go that's it that's the winner that's the winner so what you do is you get together in teams and you draw cards and a little bit like uh, some other kind of uh, party card games where you uh, uh, match up one card to another you take a movie and you take a style and you synthesize a new exciting Maybe funny, maybe really clever movie uh, using these cards. It's a real fun time. Mm -hmm. And uh, if that sounds like something that you and your friends would be interested in, you can purchase a copy of Greenlight and the various expansion packs that have been created for the game at WheelTreePress.com. So anyway, back to the movie. Okay, Peter Graves shoots his wife. Lee Van Cleef confesses to his wife and in the confession also tells her where the alien is currently holed up he's like yeah that's he's right. like he's got the alien's got to be in these caves because you know venus is hot yeah he's in like the steam cave or something yeah like the, steam the, cave yeah. x right. science yeah like geyser caves or something like that right she's like okay mental note good now i know where to find it beverly garland grabs the rifle and Which sneaks out the back door. Well, no, grabs the rifle, grabs the microphone to the ham radio. Oh, kit, yes. And, and is like, hey, you fucking alien. She doesn't say fucking, but yeah. in my head she did. Hey, you fucking alien. I know where you are. I'm coming for you and you're not going to win. And I am going to make sure that, that you don't fuck anything else up in this world because, you know, maybe my husband won't do it, but I will. I'm coming for you. Mark my yeah. words. She basically, like, she cut a promo. If this was like a wrestling thing, she was, she was totally like cutting a promo. Yeah. And later on, we were going to see in the ring, Beverly Garland versus Beulah, which yeah. would be kind of an awesome wrestling match. Oh yeah. Like a kaiju wrestling match. 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Giant, Bula. giant Beverly Garland versus giant Beulah in a, in a big city. No, 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 no. Just, just, uh, Beulah in the rubber suit plus regular Beverly, Beverly Garland, but Beverly Garland, clearly a high flyer. She's going to be doing some massively awesome jumps off the, the turnbuckles. So that would be pretty cool. I think that's what we have to look forward to. Also could be in a game of Greenlight or a game of Worldwide Wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it can be. That's uh, the, where, where worlds collide. Yeah. Yeah. So she, actually she's, yeah, she's, so she says, I hate your living guts for what you've done to this world and, uh, reads out the alien and, uh, she sneaks out the garage door. Yeah. She's like, like while they're going in, she's sneaking out and, and she hops in the car and peels out and starts mm-hmm. tear assing across country. She's like, fuck the, you know what? Too much, there's been too much fuckery going on. Too much, like, talking about things. Too much, like, listening to men and science. Like, fuck all these people. I have a gun and a car, and I know where this asshole is, and I am coming for it. Right. Right. And she does. So she drives across, goes to the cave, wanders around in the cave a little bit. You see the same footage a few times. No, literally, like, they show the footage of her walking into the cave. And it's like five seconds of footage, and then they cut to like the the monster and some steam, and then they cut back, and they use the exact like exact same five seconds of footage of her walking into the cave again. It's like, come on, Roger, yeah. like come on. Yeah, and they're just at this point they're trying to pad it out. So she she confronts the monster. She finds the monster. She's mm-hmm. terrified by it. She screams. Mm-hmm. And you see the monster with its glowing eyes and his weird little frowny mouth. Yeah, this is the first time that claws. you really fully see the monster, too. And oh, so, it's like, terrible. it's the worst. Yeah, it's it's just the worst. She's like, you're ugly. I'll see you in hell. And she, and she just, like, she blasts, just it. blasts it with the gun. Shoots it, shoots it in the face as many times as she can. Mm-hmm. But, unfortunately... It, it kills her. It kills her. So that's what you look like? But she is good with that pump action rifle. Yep. She is like, she is unloading a lot of hot lead into that monster. Like and quickly. Yes. She's, I would not want to fuck around with Beverly Garland in real life, guys, because she knows how to shoot a gun. Yeah. At this point, Peter Graves is now on a rampage. He's got a gun. He, so look. Everyone he, has a gun. Everyone has a gun. Okay. So, so Beverly Garland is, shoots the monster, but. And because the monster's impervious to bullets, whatever, Beulah can get shot and doesn't die. Beulah kills Beverly Garland. And Lee Van Cleef hears her dying over his radio set. And so... He's like, ah. Peter Graves is like, okay, is that enough for you? Don't you see what you're doing here? And he's like, you see what's happening? He's like, yeah, I guess. I do. So instead of grabbing a gun, though, he grabs a fucking flamethrower. So (laughs) Lee Van Cleef says, all right. You got to go take care of business. Here's a pistol, or, or uh, uh, he's already got a pistol. Yeah, Peter he's like, Graves do you need a gun? A and Peter Grace is like, fuck you, I've got my own gun. It's the 1950s. Gun. Everyone has a gun. Right. He's like, I got a flamethrower. I'll meet you over by Steam Cave. And Peter Graves is like, yeah, okay, cool. So Peter mean- Graves goes out to like science lab. And discovers that. Yeah, she, he discovers that the science lady has been killed because she was not uh, assimilated, but the other science guys were. So he shoots everybody. Everybody, everybody who's been assimilated, everybody who's been infested with the alien wire neck 
bat creature thing. Yep. Murders. Yeah. Yep. Meanwhile, while this is going on, the hilarious, and that is with sarcasm, Mexican stereotype soldier has stumbled on the cave and has witnessed Beverly Garland being killed by the monster and fucking hightails it back to his platoon where he's like, he's like, I sw- he's like well, first he starts screaming things in, in Spanish and like the guy who's in charge of the, the group is like, in English, English. And he's like, oh, okay. There's a big giant monster who just killed a lady in a cave. And without questioning anything, the sergeant or whoever the commanding officer is like, saddle up, everybody. We got to go. There's a woman being killed by a monster in a cave. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, and they oh. do. It's like, yeah. Okay. It's like, okay, bazooka man, you stay outside. Yep. No name for that guy. We're going to go inside. And they go in there and they open up on this creature and, and nothing happens. The creature just like eats the bullets and just like keeps coming, comes out of the cave and Lee Van Cleef shows up. And, uh, pulls out his, well, it, Lee Van Cleef also dispatches the, the, the cop, the mind control cop by, by lighting him on fire with his blowtorch. Right. Uh, which, which was, was pretty cool. Which was a, like, that was a legit stunt because yeah. a, 1956, like they didn't have the big, like padded, like flame retardant, like catch the guy on fire rigs that they did later on no this is probably so, pretty dangerous they probably just found some like really aspiring actor and was like yeah. how how much do you really want to be on screen yeah. the guy was like i want to be on screen a lot and they're like great we'll use alcohol so it'll burn off cool it'll burn really quickly yeah so you don't ever like you don't need your back for anything do you <laughs> you're no, not using that right you're not now, using right? that right yeah you, you can wear shirts so leave and cleave burns up mind control cop and he dies. And he dies. And then shows up at Steam Cave, uh, while, the, uh, just as the monster's emerging and. And he eats Bazooka Man. It's really sad. I wish Bazooka Man had a name. Yeah, the monster eats Bazooka Man. And, uh. And then Lee Van Cleef is like, everyone stop fighting. And people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. Everyone stop shooting. I have things I need to do. I can kill it with fire. He knows. He knows because he he is an expert on this thing. Yeah, he's been he's been its only friend on Earth. So it's they've been pen, to him. They've been pen pals for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's so really he, sad. So he walks up to it like very like purposefully, and then flame balls it in its eye. Yeah, he just he he, he incinerates its eye, and then the two of them die together in an embrace of death. Yeah. And the little ice cream cone falls over. Mm-hmm. And Lee Van Cleef falls over in its arms. Right. Which it kind of, he kind of has to hold on to him to make sure it looks like the guy choked him. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Peter Graves says, he learned almost too late that man is a feeling creature and having feelings is the best in the universe. He learned almost too late that man is a feeling creature and because of it, the greatest in the universe. Learned too late for himself that men have to find their own way to make their own mistakes. There can't be any gift of perfection from outside ourselves. And when men seek such perfection, they find only death, fire, loss, disillusionment, and the end of everything that's gone forward. Men have always sought an end of toil and misery. It can't be given, it has to be achieved. There is hope. 
but it has to come from inside. The man himself. And he goes on and on and on for like a minute. Yeah, that. it's a monologue for old actors. <laughs> we usually we usually actors. point out the monologues for young actors. This is a monologue for old actors. This is a monologue for character actors that like, they're like, oh, I can't do that one from Repo Man anymore. I got to do... oh. I'll do this one instead. Yeah, it's he. His monologue is like against. It, it, it could be read as against communism. Obviously, of course, but everything also, is against communism, Eric. It could be against God. It's like there is no. You cannot get your sense of right and wrong and good and evil from a source outside yourself. Mankind needs to do it for themselves. He never ever invokes God. No, in the speech. And I found that kind of interesting because at this time there was like a mania for making sure that you'd at least drop some God reference, at well, there, least in opposition to communism. There was a God reference that Beverly Garland does drop. Oh, she calls the monster his God. Yes. Right. That so, is the only thing in this movie yeah. that is referred to by God, for God, near God, of yeah. God. And the the only God referred to in this is this force for evil, which is kind of interesting and different for its time. Look, Roger Corman didn't care. He got that script in three days. That's fine. There's no God in it. Whatever. Look, everybody tries to make fun of this movie as being a really, really bad movie. And it's not. It's not. It's it is a it, bad movie, but there it's are, a good th- bad movie, and it's fun. There are bad things about this movie. There There's are a lot of bad things. There are about choices it. that could have been made better. Like, I mean, honestly, like if this is not the best example of why you don't show your monster in a in a suspense monster movie, then I don't know what would be. Like, the monster ruins all of the headway that the characters do with the the motivations and acting choices that their actual actors did. Because the acting is as good as it can be with what they've been given. Like, this is the kind of... This is an example of, like, this would have been what Jaws would have been like if we had seen the shark all the time. Yeah, a little bit. Because Jaws shows you just enough of the shark that the shark is pretty fucking terrifying. Yeah. But... The the notion that the shark is out there and it's big and horrible is the thing that makes Jaws scary. Mm-hmm. This movie would have been more effective if we had never seen Beulah until maybe the very end and very small bits of, of the actual creature design and maybe even not really at all. Like, we can be afraid of something that we never see. Because our imaginations make it that much worse. See, I would say that I would agree with just about everything you're saying, except for the fact that I really love that awful monster. And it kind of is almost the best part of it when you see it because it's so hilariously bad and weird. Yes. So it I'm, could kind of go either way. I mean, if, if you if you wanted to make this into a good an actual good movie, well, that's where I that, that's what I was arguing yeah. for. If you wanted to make this into an actual good movie, absolutely, you'd have to. If you wanted to use that monster, you'd have to not show it or only show it in the vaguest, very small forms. Bits. Yeah, not never show that ice cream cone. No, their cucumber thing with the horns and the teeth, and no. Terrible, terrible. But if you wanted to make this into an actual good movie, you'd have to, like, 
Uh, I won't say that that's the monster is the least of its problems, but there's just there's a lot of other problems with right. this movie, and it's just it's sort of disorganized. There's and at the end we we left out the fact there's a lot of running around, people running places, going places, cars driving, cars parking. People you just have to. I think in in pretty much any fifties or sixties movie that's like a B B movie monster movie. At least 15 minutes of your movie is people running around, driving away from things, or, you know, walking to places. Yeah. It's just what, it, that's just how they did it. Yeah. It is a bad movie, but it's a good bad movie. Yeah. I, I, th- and it, hey, as we mentioned, it's 70 minutes long, right? Yeah. And like, it's on, uh, YouTube. It's on YouTube. Um, it's as, cl- if it's not public domain, it's as close to public domain as you can get without being in public domain. Right. Cause it's like, been around forever. The print of it, the one we saw on YouTube, was really dark and muddy and hard to see. Well, we we actually watched two because one of them, uh, one of them was taped off of TV because they do show this movie on like the Movie Channel and like Turner Movie Classics and stuff like that. So uh, the the movie that we first started watching actually had the the TV like PG rating in the in the corner of it. Right, right, yeah. And, and then the it had and it had yeah. the yeah the watermark on the bottom and. I, I made Eric find us a different copy of it because the sound quality on it in between when people were speaking made this horrible buzzing noise. It was like a low frequency hum. Yeah. Like which a 60 cycle thing. I have trouble with. Like so that. yeah, I had trouble with it. So we had to find a different print to watch, but. Yeah, and the other print was a little darker and muddier, but the first one was dark and muddy as well. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody should go back. The Criterion collection should go back and find. The original Phil. Oof. You think there is one at this point? An original? Yeah. You think that there still exists a I'm copy sure. of this movie on film somewhere? Film stock? I'm, yeah, I'm sure somewhere. Somebody's- somebody should Somebody should make it and uh, re-release it in glorious uh, high def. That would yeah. be fun. Yeah, maybe. Fun to see. Yeah. So, yeah, I recommend it. I, I would recommend it as well. I think it's actually got more in it than just the shitty monster movie aspect of it. And if nothing else, you get to watch, this is Lee Van Cleef's first leading role in a film. Um, and Beverly Garland is great. And Peter Graves is a gigantic dick and it's fun. So. Yeah. I highly recommend it for people who like bad movies and for movie nights with your friends. And yeah, this is, this a, is, if, this if is you're, a real fun one. If you're into those like black and white 1950s monster movies, like the bird eye Gordons with the giant, you know, grasshoppers and the Roger Corman's with the no budgets. This is a good one. Put it on your list. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Cinema Super Collider. Follow us on Twitter at Cinema Supercast or join our Facebook community where we post early warnings about our upcoming movie selections and also invite you to join our film discussions. You can email us questions, comments, and suggestions for future shows at cinemasupercast at gmail.com. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. See you next time. <laughs>